Hi, this is Shan Vanderleek with TransformationGoddess.com. I am so thrilled to be interviewing Sarah Beek today. Sarah wrote an incredible book called Red, Hot, and Holy. And her story is so good that you have to absolutely get a copy of this book. Sarah is a Harvard-trained scholar of comparative world religions who spent years traveling the world studying spirituality. From whirling with Sufi dervishes to meeting the Dalai Lama on her 21st birthday, from taking the host from a Croatian Catholic mystic who had the stigmata to having life-altering visions with shamans and everything in between. The New York Times named Sarah one of the new role models for her generation. Welcome, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. It's so good to be here with you. This is what it's about for me, is actually connecting like this. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. You describe Red Hot and Holy as a permission giver. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. I think whenever any of us start to speak our truth, no matter how messy or eloquent or <laughs> strange it might sound, it gives other people permission to start speaking and living their truth. And so I, this book was a real test for me and a real challenge on so many different levels to, to reveal myself, to actually share much more of what was going on for me personally in a spiritual journey. And I, I kept sort of sensing, because I know it's happened for me, when I've read something or I've seen some woman do something that I know is my edge, but I see them doing it or I hear them talking about it, it just gives me that much more confidence and that much more energy to go do it in my own way. And so that's what I hope this book does. <laughs> like if, if I go there, you know, if I dare to go there, um, it's just a reminder that other women can go there as well and they're not alone. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you went there. <laughs> How did you come to trust your inner divine feminine? Through years of practice, um, the years of, of doing some deep self-inquiry work around my relationship with the feminine. Because um, I, I started off you know, not really having a strong relationship with the divine feminine, kind of being raised Catholic, and then really getting into different spiritual studies around the world. But um, it wasn't really until my... Um, college years that I started actually really connecting with the divine feminine and it was through my studies and religion and through some of my travels but and that was more of just like an awakening more of a like oh my god there's this whole other aspect to the universe there's this whole other <laughs> aspect to the divine that's like has not been given the spotlight and, and so there was this huge surge of just like excitement and joy and awakening around finding her again and then, which is sort of the second part of my book, I had to really go into a, a deeper relationship with her and really begin to see all the parts of myself that were blocked from her or that felt negatively towards the divine feminine. And most of these were unconscious. Uh -huh. You know, if anyone was like, do you have negative feelings about the divine feminine? I'd be like, get out. I love her. I'm all about the divine feminine. I'm like, go, go, goddess girl. But underneath, unconsciously, there was a lot of um, resistance towards her and some really strong anger towards her, fear of her. 
feeling that she was, you know, the whole host of negatives <laughs> you can think right, of right. that we often attribute to just sort of outer means, like outer forms of like patriarchy. I was definitely hosting, and I would venture to say we all host these because the feminine has not been treated well on this planet in any shape or form, and that's a part of us that we also hold inside. So my relationship with her really had to go through the ringer, and I had to face these aspects in order to get closer to her, and it's like any intimate relationship, you know, mm-hmm. with anything, with a human, with life, we kind of have to do some of the deeper work in order to, to draw closer. So it took well, me years. It's oh, still, yeah. still in process. Right. Well, and I, I think it's important that that we do remind our listeners we are in process and we will be in process for the rest of our lives. Definitely. And my, my sense of the feminine, and this is, you know, just through my own perspective and experience, but that if we're really serious about wanting to know her, wanting to know this feminine force in the universe that's inside of us and that's outside of us. There's usually like a courtship phase, you know, that's all like kind of flirty. It's kind of like we get really lit up. We're like, God, this is cool. You know, like there's all this stuff. And then she just very naturally, when it's time for us, is going to bring us in deeper for like a tighter hug. And that's when kind of all the parts of us that have been resisting her or are unfamiliar that are sort of in the way to really owning our own divinity, our own divine femininity, are going to get pushed out. I see that as part of her work. You know, I really Uh see that she wants us to be embodiments of our own divinity. She wants us to really own it and know it. And in order to do that, it's a process. But she guides us in it, which is great. Uh You mentioned in the book that we've only been taught half of the divine story. Mm-hmm. Which ties, you know, which t- ties back to this process, doesn't it? Very because if we've only so. been taught half, well, what about the other half? Very much so. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and this is this is a way for me to to learn how to handle some of this information. And what I was feeling was to really sort of begin to notice that there were two faces of the divine, you know, and the first face has more traditionally been related to like a masculine face and it has characteristics like enlightenment and calm and nothingness and emptiness and equanimity and <laughs> and all kind of God realization and merging into oneness and, and that that's what most of us have been taught to think that that's spirituality or that's being spiritual. And a lot of the practices that go along with that are most of the traditional religious practices like prayer and meditation and even most forms of yoga. And so we've we've all been sort of taught that that's spirituality. But then there's also the second face of the divine, which is equal. It's just a different face. And that face is more about passion and eros and creativity and life force and movement. And a lot of the practices that really help, like, activate that second face of the divine in us are things like dance and voicing ourselves and being in our body and exploring our desires and our passion and, you know, and our emotions and allowing those to really be present instead of just trying to, you know, meditate them away or cover them with positive affirmations. So there's, there's, there's these two faces, and, you know, there are more, there's more descriptions to them, but just to make it brief, and this, uh-huh. <laughs> there are these two faces and kind of coming to know them and really feel them and, like, suss them out in my own body, I know is a very important part of my own journey, and it made me realize, like, 
no one ever told me that when I was like dancing like a wild child in my living room, that that was just as divine and connected and as a serious practice as me sitting trying to calm my thoughts in like a lotus position. Right. So most of us need both, but because we've all been taught the first phase, a lot of us have to work a bit harder to sort of redevelop and reawaken and rewelcome the second phase aspects into our life. I have never been happier than when I started to allow the second face in my life. Mm. To to be able to just go crazy, just go nuts. Right now I have a I started painting this year, Sarah. I had no idea I was oh. a paint I, I had no idea I was a painter, right? And I oh. thought, well, if I'm gonna paint, I'm gonna set up the easel in my living room and I'm not putting it away. And this is gonna be a part of the way this is like the part of the way I live is, oh, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to paint or I'm going to turn on some great music and you know dance around like a banshee or, you know, what? <laughs> and, and, I, and I've always had those, those sparks um, yeah. and those, those pieces, but they were a little bit tamped down, you know, a little bit like, oh, um, mm, if you're being described as a force of nature, maybe you ought to be a little bit more. <laughs> exactly exactly and it's like we're all been told to like tone down to quiet down totally and especially when we take into the realms of spirituality you know so there were all these times where like i would go to these like spiritual retreats and i'd be like going crazy like crawling out of my skin and then i'd be sort of beating myself up you know like oh mm -hmm. i'm just an egocentric individualistic westerner you know who <laughs> like, <laughs> can't do this where or, you know, sure, some of that's definitely true, but also what I was really tapping into and feeling and trying to express was my authentic divine feminine nature that wanted to actually express herself and that environment wasn't the right environment for her. Right. And so it was just, and just noticing, and sometimes it's the right environment, sometimes it's not, but it's just beginning to notice that. And that's also part of the permission because I've run into so many women in my life that are like, yeah, I just don't feel very spiritual because whenever I go into meditation or whenever I go into whatever, I want to like, you know, do something else. And with the second phase, you're actually allowed to really be yourself. Like uh -huh. the, the divine feminine to me, it's like what you've described about like how you're just waking up each day and you're just allowing that life force to move through you. I feel like that's her call is to bring all of us back to life, to really, to really push us into our own aliveness. And that's going to look different for each of us each day, but for a lot of women, just because of our bodies and the way our brains are and the way our emotions are, it's, it's, it's more in alignment with the second phase. You know, men have it too, but it's definitely a little bit more of a release valve for us when we know that that is just as freaking divine. When I read about your feminine superpowers, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm activating my feminine superpowers because... <laughs> Yeah, I took my first belly dancing class, right? And right. I went there, and I'm, you know, I'm not very shy, so I thought, well, what the hell? You know, I'm going to go there and just <laughs> shake my ass, right? Why not? Why not just go and shake my ass and just see if I like this? I've been pretending that I want to belly dance. I've been talking about belly dancing. I've been looking at the pictures of gorgeous belly dancers. I've been, okay, go take the class. And it was awesome. It was so awesome. I love it. <laughs> there, there, on the very first day, this woman walks in, and she was probably 
I don't know, 78, 79, around, right around 80 years old. And she had on these black bell bottoms and this little tie-up shirt. And she was so gorgeous. And she was just like, yeah, check me out. I'm belly dancing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, can, I, can I go home with you? Because <laughs> Exactly. That's like, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's so it's so refreshing and like joyful, and it's just like a woman being in her skin and just fully enjoying like her full womanhood. You know, oh, yeah. no matter what it looks like or whatever, it's just mostly about what it feels like. You know, right. and that that that's what I think really turns us on, and like a capital T and a capital O. Yeah, and it like reminds us because you know I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of that was really like tight in my life and like mm-hmm. contracted growing up you know and you weren't supposed to walk around shaking your ass and you weren't supposed to like let your belly just sort of like do its thing like you were mm-hmm. you know I mean it, it and so being able to like participate in those and also just appreciate it I mean it's like a divine feminine transmission yeah being around that being in a class and like feeling it in your own body again I mean it's like juice to juice mm-hmm. yeah it's the good stuff How else can we awaken our feminine superpowers? You know, I think by following that passion, like following what feels like it's really going to, it just excites you. It feels like whenever you think about it, it like lights you up. There's tons. I mean, one thing that is happening right now, which is great, is there's a real, you know, huge surge and feminine books and workshops and teleclasses and just wonderful things and like what you're offering the world they're just they're just everyone's just sort of waking up to this so it's just paying attention to that and I also just think you know some of the obvious things but just like being in nature Uh and I've I also really feel like for me I always use this word but it's like a real invitation like to really consciously invite your feminine superpowers to come forward and to invite your relationship with the divine feminine to become that much more intimate, you you kind of have to say it. You know, you have to sit there and, and feel it. Just to say, I want to know you more because I want to know myself more. Mm-hmm. And allowing those pieces to just show up and to start paying attention to your body and your dreams and just like messages you're getting, divine winks and synchronicities. And just doing that, just paying attention is Mm -hmm. activating one of your major feminine superpowers, which is intuition, Mm -hmm. you know, and just embodiment. Um, So it's just, and then so, I mean, just the examples you've given about like belly dancing and painting in your living room and just like eating food that really, really feels nourishing and like good to your senses and baths and things that just make you come alive in your own skin are some of the main ways I find that are Mm. sort of like the direct route Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of my very best friends said, you have to learn about Marion Woodman, right? Mm -hmm. So I watched this video of her, and I'm blown away by Marion. And then I start reading your book. (laughs) And you're referring to, you know, this interview in Red Hot and Holy with Marion. And then from there on out, it's, you know, what happened before Marion and after Marion? She's she's an important part of my life. Um, so important that I actually you know refer to my life now before Marion and after Marion. So BM and AM <laughs> and, and before Marion, um, I was definitely on this you know feminine journey and really having some 
profound experiences with the Divine Feminine, writing about her and talking about her and all of that. And um, I was doing a feature documentary film actually about sort of this new movement of the Divine Feminine. So Marion Woodman, who is a Jungian analyst in her 80s, was someone that I had been reading since I was in high school. Um, so I really wanted to interview her. And um, we luckily got an interview with her and just sitting across from her um, right when the camera started rolling and I asked her the first question and she answered. Um, I just I started just crying and it was very silent. <laughs> it was just the tears were just uh -huh. streaming down my face because I realized that even though I had been around really strong and inspiring and spiritual women my entire life, she was the first woman I had ever sat across that had actually embodied her soul. And what that meant, it's sort of, it's, it's hard to put into words because it's more of a sensation and a feeling. Uh -huh. But she, that divine feminine part of her, that, that real divine essence, that individual essence in her was really in her body. She wasn't talking kind of from her head or outside of herself. Everything felt very connected to her belly. You could really feel the work that it has taken for her to do this. Mm. And it was so human. It was so honest. There was no spiritual fluff around it. There was no just sort of, you know, yeehaw. <laughs> it was just this, like really alive, present woman. And what I recognized in that um, interview was that I had not embodied my soul, hmm. even though I was very attracted to the feminine and I was very passionate and, you know, done all this work around it. I had not actually learned to know her in and as my own skin and body, like really, truly. I knew it up here. I knew that's how I was supposed to know her. Right. But the reality was I wasn't actually like settled into her in my own skin. And so Marion just really you know, was an example of that. And there was no other way for me to get that because I'd read all the books. You know? Right. <laughs> this, this was like a body-to-body -body transmission. This was sure. just purely like, here's some woman who has something that I don't. And so it really led to me having to go through a pretty, you know, dark and intense time period of inquiring why I hadn't embodied my soul. Right. So she, she played a major role for me, and I'm really grateful um, and I'm just so grateful for the work that she's offered this planet because she was just doing such intense feminine work, you know, for so many years, as popular as it is now or sort of as accepted right. as it is now. Right. And so she's just definitely um, a pioneer in this field. Well, I'm so grateful to have found her just such a short time ago and, and look forward to devouring anything I can. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so I, I really, uh, really love loved that um, she was such a big part of, of you and your life and your path. Later in Red Hot and Holy, you talk about how Marion shared that we grow in two directions and, and yeah. the, you know, the spirit path and the soul path at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you talk about high-fiving spirit and shooting the shit with soul. And I, I just would like for you to talk about that a little bit more because I know that a lot of the women in our community have embraced one or the other or yeah so it's related spirit and soul are related to sort of the first phase and the second phase but um spirit and soul 
um, Marion and a few others like Bill Plotkin um, have really found that like there's a distinction there where spirit is more transcendent. It's more of a path of an ascent, sort of an upward, you know, kind of timeless union with like God or the universe. It's a real transcendent. It's in, to be honest, again, I would say most spiritual practices and teachings and even, you know, mainstream spirituality that we see even on like things like Oprah, most of them are based on a more spirit path, more of an upliftment. Now, the soul path is more about going inwards and down. It's more of a descent where we come to know sort of the core of our individual divine essence. And it's also where we face our shadows. You know, we uh-huh. face those parts of ourselves that we've repressed or that are unconscious aspects of ourselves that are still fully functioning in our life. <laughs> we just we don't know that because <laughs> they're unconscious. So right, right. the soul path is more like a muddy, bloody, like, you know, crawl where the spirit path is like, let me put on my angel wings and kind of float above it all. Yeah. Now, most, both of them are equal, and both of them are incredibly important. But again, on, in general, most people tend to be, if they're on some sort, if they're, if, they're, if they're some sort of spiritual practitioner or they're interested in inner work, a lot of them have been um, focusing a bit in the spirit direction, so much so that, like, you know, Marion is fully, you know, saying that soul loss is an epidemic. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... Soul is a word that people use a lot. Sometimes soul actually is a word that people use for spirit. Like it gets very loose. But the way she's defining it, she's saying like, no. And same thing with her mentor, Carl Jung. He has this great quote where he, I can't quote it directly exactly, but he was just saying, you know, it's so interesting. Like people will do everything. Like they'll study yoga. They'll try all these diets, do all these things, but they won't just go in and meet their own soul. Uh-huh. And it was a huge thing. And then that was a lot of my recognitions that I was doing all these practices and these things and even connecting with uh, divine feminine on more of a spirit level and kind of something that was more universal and in nature and which is great and wonderful and through goddesses like Kali and Aphrodite and, you know, all these wonderful goddesses. But I wasn't actually knowing my own essence. Uh-huh. I wasn't taking the time to really go in and to know who I am and that's the soul journey that's a very different and those other things can help they all can sort of help support each other but more often than not we sort of bypass the soul in order to go for spirit you know like I know so many people that will you know go to a spirit guide before they ask their own soul right right and so that's what I see right now and I would agree in my own ways it's definitely an epidemic I find it everywhere and I was a poster child for it. That's why I could speak to it. Well, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, you know, and that, that's certainly where I started as well. And, and I'm grateful for every bit of it. But yeah. the soul work is, uh, wow. It's yeah. such a big wow. It's so, there are days when my heart is so broken open that, I can just barely believe it. And then there are, uh, there are other days that because of that same openness, I feel like you know, I could run down the street with my hair on fire, just freaking out because I don't really know what to do with it. You know, like, what do I yeah. do with this? What do I do with this? And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then, oh, all of these things are coming. You know, thankfully, I have a, a wonderful, wonderful teacher now that just smiles and, and it, I know that she supports me wherever she is, and nice. and it's so new. And I, all this time, I was 
thinking that, that I was responsible for things that I didn't even understand yet. All I can do is laugh at that and how ridiculous that is. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So you talk about reaching out and receiving in. What's the difference? Yeah. It's a part of my work after Marion. Um, I went through sort of a, it was longer than three years, but around a, a three and a half year period of what I call sort of going into the red tent. It was my own form of a red tent mm -hmm. um, and kind of pulling back from about 95% of my professional and personal life. And in the red tent um, was kind of where I began to develop that feeling. And that was really based on the guidance of my soul. It's just how when I'm reaching out for something, when I'm reaching out of the red tent, when I, when the red tent is a physical, but mostly a spiritual sort of cocoon and like uh -huh. energy. And it just sort of means like I'm being with myself. I'm being with my soul. And when I'm reaching out um, for like the latest workshop or the new best-selling spiritual book or because the cool new teachers in town, <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a great teleclass on, you know, when I, when I'm reaching out um, and if I'm coming from a place that, feels like I'm lacking something like I need that in order to be more you know a host of things more confident more sexy more conscious more divinely feminine like if I'm doing any of that um, I it usually doesn't end up serving me in the best ways that it can where when I stay in myself when I stay in like the red tent and I receive and something might show up like a workshop, like a book, like a teacher, you know, something might show up, but it comes from a place where it's actually being drawn, like magnetized towards uh -huh. me from my soul. It's not coming from a place, kind of an ego place or a place that's like getting sort of caught up in the marketing copy that someone sent me. Right, <laughs> it's right. It's coming more from like an actual soul place that is like this thing is actually appropriate for your next step. And it's a very, it's a somatic sensation and it's something, it just takes a little bit of practice to get to know because I, I know I was mostly used to kind of reaching out and it's very different when you just stay with your own being and oh, allow yeah. things to come towards you that that are right, you know, that are in alignment. And I say this because it's like, it's actually really tricky these days. Like it's pretty subtle out there, um, especially when it comes to the feminine work and spirituality, because again, we're being offered so many things. Uh -huh. We become aware of our own sort of like things that get hooked, you know, and are like, oh yeah, I totally want that. A part of us that gets hooked, and we each have, we each have usually several of those. Sure. Just becoming aware of it helps, helps us. Sure. Oh, no doubt. no doubt. Well, and that mm -hmm. ties back to the smoking out our false self, right? Yeah. And how we, how we begin to, to smoke her out. Yeah, yeah. You said, aligning our ordinary life with our evolutionary divinity is a path of fire. You burn, you grow, and it just continues. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that for those moments when I'm like, okay, am I done yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, there's something refreshing and just, again, that, that place of knowing that, okay, A, you're not alone. B, yeah. no, it's, you're not done yet. You're not ever going to be done yet. I think it's just a beautiful way to em embody the divine feminine and to show up. Yeah. I, I think each of us just, has to grow comfortable in a fire mm. because authentic spirituality 
Like if we're actually really here because we want to know ourselves, we want to be ourselves, and we want to unleash ourselves when we're here and we're saying, I really want to be an embodiment of the divine feminine and know my own distinct divine femininity as my soul, you have to go through fire. There is, I don't, I don't know a being that can just have sort of, they can have an easy lifetime. <laughs> that might be part of their trajectory. But in general, most of us really have to go through both the light and the dark aspects of ourselves. And it's a burning. I, I talked about this recently in a talk that I gave. You know, most of us do have to be reduced to ashes and rebirthed in the flames in order to be able to hold this much of her love uh-huh. and this much of her truth and this much of her power. And it, it's just part of the process. So just to get sort of comfortable with it, you know. And I know in my own life, and I'm sure in yours, and, and you know, other women listening to this, there are there are natural ebb and flows. You know, there are times where I'm like, I really don't know if I can handle anymore. Uh-huh. And then something will sort of like move in, and I'll get this sort of nice like grace period where it feels like a little vacation is happening. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I know that vacation is temporary because I have made the choice to stay in the fire in order to be with myself and to be with my soul. And it's not an easy choice. The soul path is, there are no guarantees. Like the spirit path tends to feel a bit easier and lighter for a lot of people. So that's also part of the reason most of us are drawn to it, especially if we're going through a heavy situation. So, um, the soul path has a little bit more of a like, (laughs) like the the growling is, is very, very present in every moment. So, yes, I just think for each woman, you know, to just to almost like remodel our ideas of what comfort is, you know, and to understand, like, how do I get comfortable in this fire? How do I, how do I start living my life in a way that doesn't have to necessarily take me out of the fire, but that keeps me thriving in here and nourished in here and actually able to stay in this holy heat? And so for us, each of us is kind of like ultimate acts of self-care that have to come and practice with it. But it is. It's it's a way of living. It's it's different than, you know, than the spirit path. And as you said, soul work isn't another thing you have to do in your life. It is your life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the great that's the great thing. <laughs> it actually doesn't require like all these crazy practices and techniques and teachers. Like those can come in at certain points, you know, when they're received and they feel in alignment. But the great thing about soul is it's just permeating everything in our life. So every conversation, every relationship, how you tie your shoe, how you're talking to your body that day, like it is everywhere trying to get you to know yourself that much more. It's it's showing up and reflecting and through our projections and it's just it's everywhere. And so it's just almost just switching our consciousness to allowing that, to allow the teaching that is life to really come in continually. Uh-huh. And then that's, that's, that's sort of it, to just keep being like, what does today want to show me and paying attention to it? And then we keep going with it. Well, and I think the, the final thing that I'll ask is just for some additional ideas that our listeners who maybe have been on the spirit path and are considering the soul path, who want to be more aware of the soul path, how can they begin to create a more conscious relationship with their soul? I always suggest that invitation again. Okay. Like to, and it can't, in my experience, it can't really come from that ego part. <laughs> it's like, I want to know my soul. <laughs> it usually has to come from, um, I've found, like the heart. Because yeah. the reality is most of, most of us are not as close to our souls. 
as we can be and as I feel like we are really created to be. Mm. And so once we sort of feel that, it to me, soul loss is behind everything. And this is a perspective that that lack of connection with our own inner divinity creates this sort of dis-ease, which causes us to do everything else in our life. You know, find that other relationship, find that next form of enlightenment, find that next great book, find that next great activity that's going to fill me up but not really sink me in. You know, it's like there's, there's all these things we do. And then we start to say, I want to know myself because I can feel that ache, that ache in my heart that's been with me forever. Mm. And I want to actually start to heal that ache. And the only thing for me, the only thing that fits in that slot is the soul. Right, right. <laughs> and so when we start to invite that, when we start to really get serious and say, nothing, like, this is it. I know, like, I actually cannot be living the full extent of my own truth if I am not living with my soul. And so I am going to make that a priority, and I feel it in my heart. And from your heart, that invitation that's just like, I want to know you. <laughs> so show up, I want to know you. Like, please turn up the volume in my life. And then again, you start paying attention to how she shows up. Right. Dreams, synchronicities, books that fall off the shelf, just feelings you're having in your body. But that dedication has to be revisited daily for most of us. That invitation has to be extended daily. And for most of us, we kind of, kind of half extend it, you know, <laughs> we're like, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, but the real, for me, you know, I, I hit that point with Marion where I realized I actually could not continue living without my soul. Mm-hmm. So I gave up everything in order you, you did. to reestablish this relationship with her. Now, mine was sort of an extreme case, and it's also because part of the work I'm doing here, it required that particular level of, like, of what I needed to do, it looks different for each of us without a sure. doubt. No one has to go through what I did in order to find their soul again. But I do want to say that it has to become that serious, that palpable as your own heart. That longing for your own soul has to be present. And it's just about feeling your heart, you know, doing doing what it takes when it, when she starts to show up more and more. And it will happen very organically. You know, there's nothing you have to force it's just paying attention to that feeling and allowing that feeling of wanting her and that feeling of wanting her will draw towards you what you need and will also guide you. Wow. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm, I'm grateful that you made time to talk about Red Hot and Holy today and would love to send our listeners to buy a copy of the book. And they can do so at Amazon. They can do so. Can they buy it right from your site as well at sarahbeek.com? No, I link all through Amazon. All um, through Amazon, they are, okay. They are in some bookstores, you know, like Barnes & Nobles and things, but just sort of in, in independent bookstores as well if people prefer more like the, the walking into a store experience. Yeah, right. <laughs> Obviously, the easiest, the easiest is Amazon for sure. It has been such an honor to share time with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's such an honor to speak with you. And just thanks for everything that you are doing and you're offering this world. It's really spectacular. It's great to know you now. Thanks for listening. I invite you to visit TransformationGoddess.com to gain immediate access to the Transformation Goddess audio series for supportive practices to awaken the goddess within.